We're in Joshua chapter number 1 tonight. We're going to look at verses 10 through 18 together. Joshua 1 verses 10 through 11 is what we'll read right now. Joshua chapter 1 verse number 11. By the way, that's the sixth book of the Bible. It's really close to the front. It's uh, right after the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. Uh, Verse number 10 says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host, and command the people, saying, Prepare ye victuals. For within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go into the inn to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. A little bit of background from last week. We talked about an introduction to Joshua. We talked about Moses, right, who was the forerunner for Joshua, uh, who had led the people out of Egypt. He had redeemed God's people out of Egypt, out of this uh, great slavery that they had in the land, and now they are going through the wilderness. Uh, we talked a little bit about, we'll talk more about it tonight, but God gave the people as they wandered through the wilderness, uh, as they began to hunger, God gave them manna from heaven. And in the dew in the morning, he gave it to them. In the dew in the evening, the Lord gave them manna. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more tonight. But as they traveled through the wilderness, they began to wish they could go back to their enslavement in Egypt. So imagine being one of these people that have just come out of Egypt. They're going through the wilderness. They've just watched God part the Red Sea. Literally, Moses steps down, put a staff in the water, and the Red Sea parts for them to walk through the mist, which is about... It's several miles that they walk through a sea. And on the side, can you imagine walking through a split sea? I I always imagine it like the Prince of Egypt depicts it. My wife and I finally got around to watching that together. Um, But you see like lightning strike and then there's like the shadow of a whale. And you see like one fish jump through the side of it and like flop and die. Right? So you see all these things. Uh, But it's crazy. So these people had seen the miracles of the Lord. However, Moses had problems with these people, right? Uh, They... uh, the challenge wasn't getting the people out of Egypt. And if you're taking notes, I would kind of just note this from the last lesson. The problem wasn't getting the people out of Egypt. The problem was getting Egypt out of the people. What do I mean? They had a lot of bad habits, right? Uh, They were enslavement, sure, but they had a lot of bad habits of building altars to gods. Uh, They had a lot of bad habits of uh, worshiping idols, and they kept doing that. They kept wanting to do that, heading back to... They wanted to just turn around and head back to Egypt. And one of their biggest sins, what was it? Complaining. Complaining. The children of Egypt, which were enslaved in Egypt, they had food while in Egypt, but they were slaves. But they knew where their food was coming from. They knew they had a bed at night that everything was dependable. But now God had called them to a life of faith to journey through a short period of wilderness to, the, to Jordan, and then they would pass over Jordan into the promised land. And this was God's ultimate goal for the people of Israel. And if you don't know much about the Old Testament, go back, search. If, if you have podcasts on your phone, you can look it up online or whatever. It's just faith teens, like Faith teens, if you just look up that, no space in the middle or a space in the middle, you could find last week's message. But I'm not going to go through everything. But as they began to go through the wilderness, uh, Moses actually traveled with them for 40 years. And God saw how much these people were struggling to follow his commandments. He saw that these people in their hearts were wicked. So God literally let them wander around the wilderness eating only manna for 40 years. And God waited until every person that wasn't, uh, every person that if you were 20 years old or younger as you traveled through the Red Sea right out of Egypt, you would have been alive now at the time of Joshua. But if you were older than that, God waited until each and every one of them died off. 
Right? So God is dealing here in the book of Joshua, unlike the first five books of the Bible, He's dealing with a completely new generation. Right? And He gives Joshua the command to lead these people. And He says, Joshua, you are my man. Be strong. Be courageous. I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm right here with you, Joshua. Take my people and lead them over the Jordan. Be strong and be courageous, Joshua, because I am with you. And that's what we talked about last week and how God, we have even a bigger presence of God in our life because sure, God was with Joshua, but God is in us, right? We have the Holy Spirit in our lives. So uh, how much the more we should be courageous and be strong for the Lord and to accomplish his will in our life. So now we get to the life of Joshua. Here, God has commanded him to be strong and courageous. And right after the Lord ends his speaking in verse number 9, uh, he says one more time in verse number 9, this is the Lord speaking, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. The next words out of Joshua, Joshua's mouth are those of courage and those of strength. Let's look again at verse number 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host. This means, hey, pass through the crowd. So, so Joshua here is commanding his main officers. Uh, the people of Israel were very organized people. Even traveling through the wilderness, they had a chain of command. And Joshua said to his officers, hey, go through the people and tell them to prepare. Here's what I want you to get out of this. If sermon in a sentence right here. So take a note of this if you're taking notes. As Christians, we should courageously step into victory. As Christians, we should courageously step into victory. How many of you like baseball? Right. How many of you are sad it's not happening right now? I am. I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of baseball. I don't, I don't watch a lot, but I, I love the sport of baseball. The people of Israel had just, in my mind, they were given a victory for free. So let's say a game is in the bottom of the ninth inning, you're losing by three. Someone steps up to the plate, and they swing the bat, and they hit a grand slam. That team has the victory. But what happens if the person that hit the ball never touches all of the bases to go home? They don't have the victory. He doesn't get the point. So there is assured victory after you have hit a grand slam. You've won the game. Right? You've just got to touch on the bases. You've just got to uh, fill in the small space, right? You just got to do the small requirement of you. It's not like people are grabbing the ball and tagging you out. No, you've hit it out of the park. The people of Israel have been given an assured victory. God had just hit a grand slam for him. And God is saying through Joshua, hey, you have the victory if you'll just run the bases. You have the victory if you'll just take the land. See, the difference between us, the, the people of Joshua's day, by the way, they had to fight for their victories, right? The Lord gave them the victories, yes, but that didn't negate their human responsibility, right? God doesn't just give us things, accept our salvation, and just say, hey, this is yours freely. Hey, here's a great Christian life. You don't have to read your Bible or do anything like that. No, no, no. In order to be, have a great Christian life, what do we have to do? Read our Bibles. Pray consistently. Go to church. Uh, have other Christian friends. Be around other godly people. Uh, it's not like God just granted them the ability to beat these armies and then as soon as they stepped in front of the armies, they just fell. No, they had to fight. But God said, when you fight, you will win. The difference between these people in these days 
in, in these days is that, and us, is that we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We don't any longer fight for victory in the Christian life. No, Jesus Christ has given us the victory. John 16, says, These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus Christ has already overcome this world. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ came as a babe in the manger, He came, He stepped from heaven's throne and came down here. And why did He come? Because God saw us. And by the way, Moses gave the what commandments? The Ten Commandments, right? Moses gave the Ten Commandments, and that uh, showed God's moral law, showed who God is. Peyton, if I stole something from you, would you feel a little bit of injustice inside? Yeah. Right? That was one of the commandments. Isaiah, if I murdered you, would you have a problem? I'm sorry, that was a big jump. Hey, if I, if, <laughs> hey, if I lied to you, I, I'll get there. If I lied to you, would you feel, and, and you knew it after you just found out through someone else that I had bold-faced lied to you, would you feel a little bit hurt about that? Yeah. Doesn't feel good to be lied to. Doesn't feel good to have something stolen from you. And it doesn't feel good to be killed. I promise you that. It does not. I've tried it. It's not fun. All right, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. God revealed. I meant someone tried to kill me. Calm down. All right, so it does not. Uh, so God revealed this moral law, which makes complete logical sense, right? Every single moral law. Hey, Hey, obey your mother and father, right? These are all uh, the wisdoms that the world has. Hey, don't bow down to idols, God said. So God gives those Ten Commandments to Moses, but what does God realize? God realizes that us in our human capacity, there is no way that we could perfectly follow those laws. Peyton, you've lied before, haven't you? Isaiah. You've killed some... I knew it! I knew it! No, 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 no. No, no, no. By the way, God says if we break one of the laws then in his mind, we've broken all of the laws. And there's not one of you sitting in front of me right now, and there's, you're looking at someone as well who is completely innocent, completely pure. And I think we need to realize right now uh, that Jesus Christ saw that we would not be able to make it to heaven. By the way, heaven is a perfect place. And God desires that each of you go there. However, God says this, no sin can enter into heaven. That makes sense, right? If your mom's just cleaned the house, is she going to let you in all muddy? No. No, she's going to hose you off first, right? Jesus Christ said, there's no, there's no way. He looked down from heaven and said, there's no way that these people can make it to heaven. There's no way I can have full fellowship with these people. So Jesus Christ stepped down from heaven's throne. He lived over 30 years in this life, never sinned once, proving that he was God and man at the same time. By the way, Jesus Christ became a man to go through the same temptations that we went through and to prove that he was God by not uh, succumbing to those temptations. And then finally, what did the Roman soldiers do? They took him and they beat him. They grabbed fistfuls of his hair, and they pulled it out of his beard. They beat him on the face. They spit in his face. They took his hands, and they spread it on a cross. They put nails in his hands, nails in his feet, and they crucified an innocent man. All the while, Jesus knew this would happen, and he did it for you. And God said, you have the victory as a Christian if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ can forgive all of your sins. You say, Pastor Scotty, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the great sin in my life. I guarantee you, there is no sin that Jesus Christ cannot forgive. 
And when you go to Jesus Christ and you ask Him to forgive you of all of your sins, by the way, you could do this, ask Him to forgive all of your sins and take you to heaven when you die so you could have fellowship with God forever, He will because Jesus Christ has offered you the free gift of salvation. If you're a Christian, you have the victory. If you're not a Christian, you are doomed as you live. You are still, the Bible says, dead in your sins because if you still have all of your sins and you die and you go to heaven, can God at the judgment seat, can He let you into heaven? No. Or it would cease to be a perfect place that you would want to be. No, Jesus Christ must punish sin. God must punish sin, but you can have the victory today. I'm going to come back to this at the very end, but if you've not received Jesus Christ as your Savior, by the way, it's as simple as just putting your faith in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as either a short prayer or just you realizing on the inside and realizing, Jesus Christ, I believe what you've done for me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I ask you to take my sins away. I place my faith in you. And by the way, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We'll talk about that in a moment, but I'll circle back around. Keep that on your mind, by the way. Keep that on your mind. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, keep that on your mind, and we'll get back to it at the end. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 57, talking about victory. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about salvation there. He's talking about what I just talked about. Revelation 21, 6-7. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Let's notice this evening, as we talk about victory in the Christian life, how you can just claim victory in your Christian life and live a powerful, courageous, strong Christian life. Let's talk about... Three patterns of victory found in this passage. Three patterns of victory. God had just called Joshua, and you could go to the next slide, that's fine. God had just, the first pattern we're going to talk about is the pattern of preparation. God had just called Joshua to take a people that was not a victorious people, and he had called them to pass over Jordan. By the way, the Jordan's like a huge body of water, right? He, he said, Joshua... You're going to pass over Jordan, and you're going to do it in three days. So Joshua goes, and he tells all the people. And by the way, when God said, Joshua, you're going to pass over Jordan, like over, like, hey, Joshua, you're going to go through the middle of Jordan. I don't know about you, but I would have been like, hey, God, where's all the lumber to build our boats? I've got thousands of people with me. Right? Uh, the Lord, uh, last time I saw Jordan, uh, I didn't see a bridge. Right? I didn't see a boat. I didn't see like a cruise liner, right, to pick us up and to take us over Jordan. And Joshua doesn't say anything. Joshua immediately, he goes about the people. He tells his officers, hey, go tell the people to prepare. What does he tell them to prepare? He first tells them, prepare ye victuals. All right? What does that mean? Does anyone know what victuals mean? Food. Very good. Food. It means prepare food. You're like, does it mean like a vase? No, no. It means food, right? So he said, basically, hey, take manna, prepare it. By the way, manna didn't last too long. So he said, hey, take, take your food that you have and pack it up because we're about to pass over Jordan. Can you imagine being one of the people of Israel, gathering up your manna, gathering up your food, being like, okay, but is there a bridge? Okay, but do I have a first class like cabin on the cruise line? Or how is this supposed to work, Joshua? But uh, he said, hey, go and prepare your food. 
By the way, speaking of manna, we're going to talk and talk about this a little bit. This might be a good place to take notes because I think this is very significant. Uh, We tend to think of manna as a heavenly feast, right? Uh, You hear many preachers talk about the manna come from heaven on the dew in the morning. You think, wow. Guess what? Manna was just a a weird food. It was a very strange food. It was a dry wafer. And many of the times they had to mill it up to make something with it, but it had the taste of oil and the taste of honey. And you say, man, a wafer? Is this like a graham cracker? Those are delicious. But guess what, guys? Guess what? For 40 years, they ate manna. Hey, hey, mom, what's for breakfast? Manna. Hey, hey, dad, what are we going to have for lunch when we get home from working? We're going to have manna, son. Hey, what are you going to have for dinner next week? Hey, I'm writing my grocery list. I need to go out to the field and pick some produce. What are we going to get? Oh, there's only one thing on the Walmart checklist. Manna and manna and manna, right? Manna all day, every day is what they ate. Notice this, teenagers. Notice this, teenagers. Manna is actually, in my mind, a picture of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, had the, it, it tasted like oil, and there's many, uh, you can look up this in many commentaries, you can look up this in the scriptures, uh, but manna is kind of a picture of the Holy Spirit. Guess what? God never designed for the people to feast. By the way, this was one of the main reasons they wanted to go back to Egypt. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase, an army travels on its stomach? Have you ever heard that phrase? It basically means that an army is only going to travel so much as they have rations to eat. Right, Because when they stop eating, they stop having strength to fight. So Joshua knows this, and he tells them to prepare this. And uh, we tend to think of manna in the wrong way. Did you know the children of Israel named manna? Manna? They did. Do you want to know what manna means? It's got a very significant, significant meaning behind it. The people of Israel looked at manna, and they said, we're going to call this manna. Do you know what it means? It means, what is this? That's what the word manna means. Manna literally means, what is is this? This is a strange food that they had to eat for 40 years. I know, I know it's weird, but that's what it means. What is this? That's what manna means, but it was a dry wafer. You might say, uh, great, that sounds delicious, but you wake up and you have it again and again and again. In Numbers 11, the people wanted to go back to Egypt because they remembered all of the food that they had there. They remembered the meat, the flesh that they had to eat. Uh, they remembered, by the way, they complained about the manna almost every day, and because of their complaining, did not enter into the promised land. But guess what was keeping them back from the promised land? A place that, by the way, flowed with milk and honey. It had grapes there. There were figs there. There were pomegranates. There was milk. There was honey. It was a great place of great uh, sustenance for them to eat, but they kept complaining. And all the while, they're complaining about the manna for 40 years. God says, just on the other side of Jordan is the promised land flowing with milk and honey. By the way, God never designed this people to eat it for 40 years. The manna was supposed to get them through their wilderness wanderings. I don't know how long God originally had in his mind. How long? Of course, God knows everything. He knew they wouldn't make it through. But manna was not designed for them to eat for 40 years. It was designed for a short period of time for the wilderness wandering to the Jordan until they're in the promised land. Then they'll have a land flowing, a land that just prosperous with food where everywhere you look. Uh, a lot of us as Christians, we are stuck in the wilderness. Let me explain this for a second, because I don't think we can go any further in this. When I look at the children of Israel, and I look at the Israel wanderings, 
I think a lot of teenagers that have just been saved, or by the way, for this matter, teenagers that have been saved for a while. You get saved, you go to church, you do the very bare minimum, but you never really go deep into the Word of God. God says, hey, I've got a promised land flowing with milk and honey to these people. And God says, hey, new Christian, I've got everything you need. He calls it the meat of the Word, right? He calls it the bread of life. Jesus Christ is called the bread of life. Hey, I've got everything you need. Hey, the problems that you're going through, the Bible has the answer to. Don't be like the children of Israel complaining about what God has given you when, by the way, teenager, you've not even tapped in to what God has given you. This Bible right here and the Bibles that you're holding in your laps or you have on your phone is all you need in life. In it dwells all the fullness of the riches of wisdom and knowledge for you. Get to know God. How do you get to know God? You get to know Him through His Word. I heard of an old Arab who was traveling through the desert. He was weary and at the end of the day, he got off of his camel and sat in the sand. He crossed his legs and he got out his lunchbox. And out of his lunchbox, he got three dates. Dates aren't delicious, but he got three dates and he was ready to eat. So he looked at one and he saw a worm in the middle of it. So he decided, he threw it on the ground, he wasn't going to eat that date. So he, he pulled out the second date and he saw there was a worm in that one. So he threw it on the ground. He picked up the third date and he closed his eyes and he ate it. Sometimes us as Christians, now you don't know what happens uh, many times. Uh, God, will, God will show us things in life. Where sometimes he'll show us things through his words, where, word that we just want to close our eyes, ignore, and get away from. Like that man that ate the third date, probably knowing there was a worm in it, right? So many times God will show us things through his, like maybe you're pricked to the heart right now, and God is telling you, hey, you need to read my word more. But you're trying to shrug it off. Maybe God's working in your heart right now, hey, I need to get saved tonight. Hey, I need to trust Jesus as my Savior tonight. And you're just going to close your eyes spiritually and say, I'm not going to pay attention to that part. Don't do that. Don't do that. Have a pattern of preparation like these people. I wish I could go deeper into this, but let's go to the second point, the pattern of faith. These, these last two are quicker than the first, I promise. We're almost done. The pattern of faith. So Joshua, in verse number 11, pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare ye victuals, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan, go to, in, and possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. There was no maybe with Joshua's command to these people. There was no, hey, uh, go through the land and tell them, hey, possibly in three days God's going to deliver us over Jordan. No, 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 no. Joshua had complete faith in his God to tell his officers. By the way, the officers had faith to tell the people, and the people had faith in God and Joshua to go through Jordan. The significance of three days. He says, for within three days you shall pass over the Jordan. I think Egypt... God getting the people of Israel out of Egypt is a great picture of our redemption as Christians. And I think the wilderness wanderings and leading the people through the Jordan and over to the promised land is a good picture of our sanctification in the Lord. And I could go into the significance of three days, but I don't have time. Man, I wish I had like 45 minutes to preach to you guys instead of like 25 sometimes. But uh, Romans 5.10 says, For what if, when you were enemies, you were reconciled to God, for by the death... Of his son, much more being reconciled, you shall be saved by his life. So, in the death of Jesus Christ, in the death of Jesus Christ, we have reconciliation. But in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have we have salvation. We have uh, we. The Bible says we shall be saved by his life. 
So we have our redemption through the death of Jesus Christ, but we have the true life in Christ through His resurrection. Does that make sense? If we only believed in the death of Jesus Christ, sure, we can, uh, biblically I can't honestly say this, but we would have the knowledge somewhat of salvation, right? But we would never know how to live a victorious Christian life until we understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I believe that him telling them three days, uh, there's a significance in the Bible about three days. Abraham and Isaac went up into the mountaintop for how many days? Three days. Jonah was in the whale's belly for three days. Christ was in the tomb for three days. Joshua said, in three days, we will pass over the Jordan. And on the other side of the three days in the Scripture, there typically is redemption or sanctification. In this case, it was sanctification of the people. People were already following the Lord. They just needed to take the next step. By the way, we are reconciled by His death, but we are saved to victory by His life. It's not what we can do for God, by the way. It's what God can do through us. I wish I had a coat for this illustration. Does anyone have like a jacket I could borrow? Anyone have a jacket? Okay. You're the only one with a jacket. All right. Okay. This is a nice jacket with candy in it. Okay. Tic Tacs. I love Tic Tacs. Okay, so... I want to illustrate God's working in us, okay? Let me go back to my notes for a second. Okay, here's a coat. It's a nice coat. I might keep it. It's, by the way, it's not what you can do for God, but it's what God can do for you. Is this a good coat for you? Is it a nice coat? Do you like it? I mean, you wore it tonight. It's practical. You like the Okay, it works for you then. Okay, so, coat. Flail your arms. Are you sure it's a good coat? Or? Hey, coat, uh, lift up my Bible. Hmm. Okay. This is your coat. This kind of ruins my illustration. I would put on the coat. And now say, hey, coat, pick up my Bible. You're like, whoa. The coat is useless without someone wearing it, Right? The coat has no purpose. By the way, why would you just buy a coat and not wear it, women? All right, so, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. The coat has no purpose unless it's worn. It cannot fulfill the things that it's supposed to do without someone wearing it, right? By the way, it's not what you could do for God. It's what God can do through you. The jacket would never do it by itself, and you can never live the Christian life by yourself. It's got to be Christ in you. And that talks about the death of, of Christ. That goes back to the three-day illustration that I was talking about. Uh, Christian, live in the resurrected life. Let Christ work in you. Be sanctified for Jesus Christ. We don't even see God, uh, see Joshua question God here. I've asked myself, uh, uh, Lord, where are the boats? Where's the wood? We're about to go over Jordan. Uh, How is it going to happen? Joshua trusted God to take them through the Jordan. Because he had seen God, by the way, take Moses. By the way, Joshua and Caleb are the only ones originally that, that in the Scripture here we, we remember as going through the Red Sea as by dry land. So why did Joshua believe the Lord when he had commanded him? Because he had already walked through the Red Sea as, dry, as by dry land. And now these people of Israel have the courageous Joshua to lead them. Uh, Joshua trusted God to take them through the Jordan because he had seen God take people through the Red Sea. Uh, we are so small-minded sometimes that we can't even imagine what Christ could do with a victorious Christian life, right? We wonder, how could God do that? Well, it's because we don't have faith in who God is, 
right? What if Joshua would have sat around, Lord, there's no way we could go over the Joshua. We don't have a boat. We don't have a bridge. We don't have any way to get over it. But because he had faith in his mighty God, Joshua walked through with the people of Israel by dry land, as by dry land and conquered Canaan land. Wow, spoiler alert, right, for the next year of our preaching through Joshua. Uh, but lastly, let's talk about the pattern of wrongful separation. I'm going to fly through this. I'm not even going to read these verses to you. If you want to get into the deep, deep doctrinal meaning of these verses, that's completely fine with you. You can look it up in Numbers 32 where it talks about these two and a half tribes that decided, uh, and the rest of the chapter here is talking about the tribes that went to Joshua. And they said, uh, hey, what about Moses' promise to us? They said that we can stay on one side of Jordan. They said that we could, um, we could stay on this, the eastern side of Jordan. In verse number 12, you have the people coming up to him. He says, And to the Reubenites and to the Gadiites and the half of the tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses thy servant of the Lord commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. So what is he saying? The land that we're standing on, the land east of Jordan. A uh, little bit of history here. Uh, back in Numbers 32, you could study this by yourself, but back in Numbers 32, Moses had promised, people had come up to Moses, uh, the Gideons, uh, no, the, the people of Gad and the Reubenites and half of the tribe of Manasseh came up to Moses and they said, hey, whenever we go into the promised land, we'll go and we'll fight your enemies, but can we come back out of the promised land and can we settle on the eastern side of Jordan because it's a place good for cattle? And ultimately, I'm going to sum up a lot here. I hope you'll go back and study this. The people were more worried about making a living than they were living for God. They were worried about how, hey, how is God really going to provide for us in the promised land? Hey, Moses, give us this promise that you'll let us settle here where at least the land is good for cattle, where at least we can have a nice life. So Moses, by the way, allowed them to do that. By the way, by doing this, they negated the blessings of the promised land. They fought all the battles, by the way. This is what's strange about these people. This is weird. Because they went into the promised land, fought all the battles, saw God defeat, sometimes physically, sometimes God Himself, send fire from heaven and defeat these armies, and they still decided to go back over Jordan and settle outside of the promised land. There will always be people that see God's mighty work, yet decide to settle for something less. Hours of research brought down to just one statement. Okay, and the application to us is don't settle for less than God's best for your life. These people did. Gad, the Reubenites, half of the tribes of Manasseh, they did all of the hard work. By the way, I can think of so many teenagers that do all of the harder stuff for God. Oh man, you'll go on a mission strip. You'll go and you'll serve homeless people at the mission. Man, you'll go on outreach and you'll knock on doors, but when it comes to letting God in your life for your college decisions or your dating decisions or anything else, oh God, that's my decision. You've done all of the hard work in Christ. Now let God take care of the big stuff. Let God take care of the victories in your life. God will come strong on your behalf if you let Him and if you let Him into these decisions in your life. Don't do it alone. Joshua, God had been told by Joshua, be strong and be courageous because I am with you. Joshua in himself is nothing. Joshua, with the empowerment of God, brought the people of Israel through the Jordan as by dry land and conquered the promised land. Remember God's working in your life, teenager. Everyone bow your heads and close your eyes.